scripture reading this morning is from Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be together this morning. Appreciate this opportunity that we have to spend in worship together and to spend in Bible study over the next few minutes. I appreciate you, and I appreciate you making this a priority in your week. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. So if you'd like to turn there with me, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we're actually going to finish up our study of the Beatitudes this morning. We're going to finish up our series of lessons where we've been talking about how we can experience true blessing, true happiness, meaning, and fulfillment in life with the words of Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. This is a picture of what many people call the Alexa Menos Graffito. It was discovered by archaeologists in 1857 as they were excavating what used to be a boarding school in ancient Rome. Even though this, this graffito, this engraving is very difficult to date, many people believe that it could go all the way back to about 200 A.D. As you can see up on the screen, it pictures a young man with his hand raised in worship to a figure that's hanging on a cross. But that figure hanging on a cross is not really what you would expect. It's not really what you would expect to see. The figure has a body of a man, but the head of a donkey. Written in Greek are words that seem to be written by another schoolboy. It's written very crudely. When you translate it into English, it says, Alexa Minos worships his God. This is one of the earliest depictions that we have of Jesus hanging on the cross. And you notice how he's depicted. He's depicted in a very disrespectful, he's depicted in a very blasphemous way. This is one of the earliest illustrations that we have of, of somebody worshiping Jesus on a cross and admitting that He is God. Jesus is depicted with the head of a donkey. It appears that there was a, a schoolboy at this boarding school named Alexa Menos who was being made fun of by his fellow classmates. He was being mocked by his classmates for choosing to worship Jesus and to live out his faith in Jesus. Have you ever been there? Do you know what it's like to be persecuted? Have you ever been slandered? Gossiped about? Have you ever had lies spread about you because of the life that you choose to live? 
how you choose to dedicate yourself to Jesus? Have you ever been like Alexa Menos? Have you ever been insulted? Have you ever been mocked? Have you ever been made fun of? Because you choose to worship Jesus and choose to be the person who He wants you to be. Has someone ever done something to you or said something to you in a negative way because of the name that you wear, the name of Jesus, and the cross that you choose to bear every single day in every single decision? Have you ever been persecuted? Well, as we go to Matthew chapter 5, and we look at verses 10 through 12, what does Jesus want us to understand about persecution? How should we respond whenever we are insulted, when people mock us and make fun of us because of our relationships with Jesus? What does Jesus want us to understand about when people do things to us or they say things to us in a negative way because we choose to follow the Lord? I believe there are at least four ideas that Jesus wants us to understand in this section of Scripture. The first idea that Jesus presents to us is that persecution is certain. Whenever you look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 10, and you begin reading through this section of Scripture, I believe that the wording there is so very significant. Notice that Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus doesn't say, Blessed are those who might be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Jesus doesn't say blessed are those who are probably going to be persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are those who will more than likely be persecuted for righteousness sake. No, Jesus says blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Then you skip down to verse number 11. Jesus says something very similar. Again, notice the wording. He says blessed are you when. Not blessed are you if. He says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. When Jesus talks about persecution, it's not a matter of if it's going to happen. It's a matter of when it's going to happen. In the life of a Christian, persecution is not a probability. Persecution is not a possibility. Persecution is a certainty according to the teachings of Jesus. I think that fact is laid out for us in persecution being included in this section of Scripture. The Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5, verses 3-12. through 12. For just a second, I want you to reflect on what we've talked about in the Beatitudes over the last little while. And I want you to ask yourself some questions. Go to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3. Is a Christian supposed to be poor in spirit? Absolutely. A Christian is supposed to live in spiritual poverty. According to the teachings of Jesus, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, look at the very next verse in verse number 4. Blessed are those who mourn. Is a Christian supposed to mourn over the sin that's present in their lives? No doubt about it. That's what Jesus teaches us to do. Go back to what we talked about last week. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 9. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Is a Christian supposed to be a peacemaker? Not a peace faker or a peace taker or a peace breaker or a peacekeeper. Is a Christian supposed to be a peacemaker? And Jesus says that they are. Paul said, we said last week in Romans chapter 12, 
if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Then you go to verses 10 through 12. Is a Christian supposed to be persecuted? Well, I'm not so sure about that. See, we read through the other seven Beatitudes and we say, Amen. We say, yes, absolutely, that's who we're supposed to be as followers of Jesus. But then we come to verses 10 through 12 and we're not so sure. I'm not so sure if a Christian should be persecuted or not. You know what Jesus wants us to understand here? Jesus wants us to understand that this eighth Beatitude is as normal to the Christian life as the seven other Beatitudes. Being persecuted, that is as normal to the Christian life as hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Mourning over the sin that's present in our lives. Being meek, being merciful, being pure in heart. In the life of a Christian, persecution is not a possibility. It's not a probability. It is a certainty. Not a matter of if, but a matter of when. We shouldn't be surprised whenever people mock us and make fun of us because we choose to follow Jesus. We should expect it because Jesus teaches us that persecution is certain. It's not the only place we find that idea in Scripture. If you go to 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 13, John says, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. So often the world demonstrates hatred towards the Lord's church and we throw our hands up. The world stands against us and hates us and we wonder what in the world's going on. Well, John has warned us here. He says, don't be surprised whenever that happens. Don't be surprised whenever the world hates you. Here we find that persecution should be expected. Luke chapter 6 and verse number 26, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Plain, Woe to you when all people speak well of you. Again, a message that we need to hear pointing towards the fact that persecution should be expected. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul himself, who was a persecutor at one point in his life, said if we even want to live godly lives, then we are going to encounter and suffer persecution. Number one, persecution is certain. How do all good fairy tales end? All fairy tales basically end in the same way, don't they? And they lived what? Happily ever after. The man and his princess ride off into the sunset. Now that the main conflict has been resolved, they're never going to go through anything difficult again. From here on out, it's going to be all rainbows and butterflies and everything is going to go perfectly. Do we ever view the Christian life that way? Well, now that I'm a Christian, I'm never going to go through anything difficult ever again. Now that I'm following Jesus and I'm trying to be who He wants me to be, everyone's going to get along with me and nobody's going to have any reason to stand against me or say or do something to me that's out of the way. It's me and Jesus. And we're going to ride off into the sunset living happily ever after. Notice that that is not the message of Scripture. It's not Jesus' message whenever we look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. I think it would be fair to say, and I think we'd all agree on the fact, that in our, in our country and in our culture, Christianity 
has been pretty well protected throughout the past. As we see that start to fade away a little bit in our secular culture, as we start to experience some difficulty and pushback, we start to worry, don't we? We start to worry about what the future looks like. We start to worry about religious freedom. We start to worry about what's going to be allowed to be preached in the pulpits. Jesus tells us to not be surprised. Jesus tells us to expect those kind of things to happen. Because again, persecution is not a possibility. Persecution is not a probability. Persecution is a certainty in the life of a Christian. And that's something that we need to recognize. You know, I feel like I'm being persecuted by this microphone this morning. So can we turn on this microphone here? Can I use it instead? This thing is just not wanting to stay on my ear. Okay, I think that's going to be a little bit better. not going to have to worry about that dangling from my ear. No, lesson number two that Jesus teaches us in this section of Scripture about persecution is that persecution is not personal. And we should not view persecution as being a personal attack against us as individuals. When you go to Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, ask yourself the question, why does persecution happen? Why does persecution take place? And Jesus is going to answer those questions by saying two things. First, look at verse number 10. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Why? For righteousness' sake. You back up just a few verses to Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 6. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We talked about that several weeks ago. Whenever we hunger and thirst for righteousness, according to the teachings of Jesus in verse 6, we are going to be filled. We are going to be satisfied. But then if you skip down to verse 10, there's also something else that's going to take place. Jesus says we're going to be persecuted. Whenever we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we are going to experience difficulty. We are persecuted not for our own sake, but for righteousness' sake. We're persecuted not because of who we are, but because of the righteousness that we choose to devote our lives to. It's not for our sake in Matthew 5 and verse 10. He says it is for righteousness sake that is why we endure persecution whenever those who practice unrighteousness encounter those who practice righteousness two irreconcilable value systems are colliding and as those two irreconcilable value systems collide no doubt there's going to be sparks jesus says in the very next verse verse 11 Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely why on my account, Jesus says. Let's say that someone invites you to go to Cracker Barrel after worship services this morning. And so you go, you sit down, you have a nice meal together, you enjoy the food, you enjoy the conversation. The waitress brings the check to your table at the end of the meal. The person who you're sitting and eating with who invited you quickly reaches across the table, grabs the check, and says, this one's on me. Well, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? As we sit at the table with Jesus, Jesus reaches across the table. He grabs the persecution that we experience and He says, this one's on me. Persecution is not on our account. It's on Jesus' account. 
It doesn't happen because of us. It happens because of Jesus. Whenever we seek to worship Jesus, whenever we seek to follow Jesus and to imitate Jesus in our daily lives, persecution is going to follow. Because once again, two irreconcilable worldviews are colliding. And when those worldviews collide, there are going to be sparks. There is going to be difficulty. Persecution is not personal. It doesn't happen on our account. It happens on Jesus' account. It doesn't happen for our sake. It happens for righteousness' sake. Persecution is not personal. This is a picture of the congregation that Leslie and I grew up going to whenever we were younger. It's actually the place where we met whenever I was four and she was two. That was a little bit ago now. I remember one particular Sunday night, we were having a singing night. That was our practice. Every first Sunday night of the month, we'd have a singing night. We'd pull out the dry erase board, and people would request songs, and the song leaders would work through those songs, leading us in praise to God. This one particular singing night, Leslie and I were sitting beside one another, and I don't remember exactly how it happened. I think I whispered something to her, and we started laughing. I'm sure that you know whenever you start laughing in church, it's kind of hard to stop. It's like the more you try to stop, the worse that it gets. Let's just say that our pew was shaken within the next couple of minutes. We were laughing so hard. After the worship service was over, the song leader came up to Leslie and I, pointed his finger at us, and said, I want to know why you were laughing at me as I was leading singing. Well, of course, we had to explain to him that we weren't laughing because of him. It wasn't anything that he did. He didn't mess up leading singing or anything like that. But whenever he saw us laughing, he took that personally. Persecution should not be taken personally. It doesn't happen on our account. It happens on Jesus' account. It doesn't happen because of us, but because of the righteousness that we choose to devote our lives to. So whenever you're persecuted, don't feel like you're in the wrong because you're not in the wrong. Whenever someone mocks you or makes fun of you or excludes you from something because you choose to follow Jesus, don't feel like you're doing something bad because you're not doing anything bad. Persecution should not be taken personally. Jesus reaches across the table and says, this one's on me. Number three, the third idea that Jesus wants us to understand in this passage about persecution is that persecution is not unique to us. In other words, we are not the first people to ever be persecuted. Jesus, speaking to his original audience, wants them to understand that idea. When you look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 12, Jesus says that they could rejoice and be glad when they experienced persecution. And one of the reasons for that is that they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus wants his original audience to know this isn't unique to you. This is not original to you. This didn't begin with you. No, look back at the Old Testament prophets. Look at how they were abused and neglected and persecuted by those who they were trying to reach. Those who they were trying to preach to, he wants them to recognize the fact that the persecution they were going through is what the Old Testament prophets had went through. 
Whenever I think about persecution among the Old Testament prophets, the first one that comes to my mind is the prophet Jeremiah. We oftentimes call the prophet Jeremiah the weeping prophet because of the difficulty that he went through. When you look in Jeremiah chapter 7, nobody listened to him. Could you imagine how discouraging and, and how difficult that would be as a prophet? A prophet of God, nobody listens to a word that you have to say. But yet that's the reality that he found himself in. Jeremiah in chapter 20 was beaten and put in stocks. When you go to chapter 26, he was given the death sentence. Then you read to chapter 36, King Jehoiakim, the king of, of Judah at the time, absolutely hated Jeremiah. He hated Jeremiah's preaching and Jeremiah's message. So what did he do? He cut up and burned all of Jeremiah's scrolls. In chapter 38, Jeremiah was thrown into the cistern and left to die in the mud. In chapter 43, Jeremiah was called a liar. And that's just one of the prophets that they could have thought back on. Jesus wants them to recognize the fact that the persecution that they're experiencing is not unique to them, it's not original to them, it's not beginning with them, but they can look back in their Bibles, they can look back in the Old Testament and see the very same thing among the prophets of old. What Jesus wants them to understand is also, I believe, what He wants us to understand. Persecution is not unique to us. We're not the first ones to ever go through this. Jesus' original audience, from their perspective, they looked back on the Old Testament prophets and were able to grasp that reality. When we look back from our perspective, though, doesn't this third idea become even more apparent? For instance, go to the book of Acts and consider the persecution that's presented there. We oftentimes think of the book of Acts as a book of salvation. This is a book of deliverance. And the church begins in Acts chapter 2 and it, it grows throughout the book. And we see several missionary journeys where people are coming into contact with Jesus and being baptized in His name. Well, Acts is a book of salvation, but it's also a book that depicts a lot of persecution. This is not an exhaustive list, but just to get us thinking, consider how the apostles were beaten by the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 5 and verse number 40 for simply preaching in Jesus' name. Acts chapter 5 and verse 41 says that whenever they were beaten, they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. What have we seen in Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12? We should rejoice whenever we're persecuted. That's exactly what they did in the fifth chapter of Acts. Consider how Stephen was stoned to death, became the first Christian martyr in Acts 7, verses 58 through 60. Consider how men and women were dragged from their homes and thrown in prison. Acts chapter 8 and verse 3, as Saul ravaged the church. Consider how James was executed with the sword by King Herod, Acts chapter 12 and verse 2. Look at how Paul was stoned in Acts 14 and verse 19. They thought he was dead, but then he ended, ended up getting up, dusting himself off, and walking right back into the city. The persecution did not stop him. And then look at Paul and Silas in chapter 16, how they were unlawfully, might I add, beaten with rods and thrown into prison. That's in Philippi and Acts 16. Verses 22 through 24. Look at the persecution that the New Testament church experienced in the book of Acts. Then take a few steps back and consider why they went through it. Take a look at Jesus. Who is the ultimate and perfect example of suffering for righteousness sake. Take a look at Jesus who was beaten, mocked, 
spit on, slapped, scourged, and nailed to a wooden cross. Take a look at the Old Testament prophets. Take a look at the New Testament church. And take a look at Jesus Christ Himself. Then tell me that you're the only one to ever go through this. Take a look at those three areas and then try to say that you're the only one who's ever gone through persecution and this is unique to you. But see, that's how Satan wants us to feel. Satan wants us to feel like we're alone. He wants us to feel like we're in uncharted territory. Satan wants us to feel like we are the only ones to ever experience this kind of difficulty in Jesus' name. It's not the case. Persecution is not unique to us. We're not the first ones to ever go through this. We are a part of a story that goes far back. A story of dedication to God and persecution in His name. And then idea number four that we find in this passage is really what we've been building up to. Is that persecution results in blessing and joy. Throughout our study of the Beatitudes, that's what we've been talking about. How we can experience true blessing and true happiness in this life. Look at what Jesus has to say. This is verse number 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you. Verse 12. Rejoice and be glad whenever you experience persecution. Alongside of the seven other Beatitudes that we've talked about over the last couple of months. True happiness, true blessing in this life comes from persecution. But that doesn't really make any sense, does it? How in the world does that work? What does Jesus mean by that? That those who are persecuted are blessed and those who are insulted and mocked and made fun of are able to rejoice and be glad whenever that happens. Am I supposed to be happy whenever other people hurt me? Is it I'm going to go through persecution and somehow that's going to create joy in me and I don't really know how that's going to happen? Is that what Jesus is saying? Well, now Jesus has a perspective that's a lot greater than that. He has a perspective that is more far-reaching than that. Jesus has a perspective that helps us to set our sights not on this life, but on eternity. Jesus says in verse number 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And here's the blessing. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's how we began the Beatitudes. Back in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's how we end the Beatitudes here in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 10. The blessing that comes from persecution is experienced in what? It's experienced in being a part of Jesus' kingdom. Not just in this life, but also in the life that's coming. Not just in the, the temporary amount of time that we spend on earth, but being a part of His kingdom in eternity. Look at verse number 12. Rejoice and be glad when you are persecuted and when you suffer. Here's the reason. For your reward is great in heaven. Jesus says endure the persecution now. Go through the persecution now. Yes, it's going to hurt. And it's going to be difficult. And it's going to be painful. But go through the persecution now and recognize that when you go through it here, your reward is going to be great in heaven. 
Persecution results in blessing and joy, not because I want to be persecuted or I enjoy being persecuted. Persecution results in blessing and joy because of the blessing it will produce in eternity. Being a part of Jesus' kingdom and experiencing a reward that is very great. Jesus' teaching here echoes throughout the New Testament. Luke chapter 6, verses 22 and 23, which in many ways is a parallel account of this, the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus says, Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Why? For behold, he says, take a second to look at it. Behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. It's interesting to think about Peter as he writes the book of 1 Peter. He's not only one who encountered persecution. He's not only one who's writing to a group of persecuted people. But Peter would have been there when Jesus originally spoke these words in Matthew chapter 5. What does he have to say? But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. Peter says when you suffer like Jesus suffered, you should rejoice And here's the reason, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. It's rooted in eternity. Rejoice when you suffer like Jesus. Because one day you'll be able to rejoice whenever He returns and His glory is revealed. He says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And then again, the words from a former persecutor in Romans 8, verses 16 through 17, he says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. If we're going to one day be glorified with Jesus, what do we have to do? We have to be willing to suffer with Jesus. When we're willing to suffer with Jesus, one day we'll have the opportunity to be glorified alongside of Him. Persecution results in blessing and joy that is eternal. Now that might look like a paradox to you. You know what a paradox is? It's a statement that seems to be self-contradictory, like less is more. Or the more you give, the more you get. It appears to be self-contradictory on the surface. And I want to suggest to you that if you look at this fourth idea up on the screen from a purely physical perspective, it's not going to make any sense to you. Persecution results in blessing and joy? That's not the case. Persecution doesn't result in blessing and joy. It results in curse and pain and hurt and difficulty. But what happens when we look at this through Jesus' eyes? What happens when we look at this from a spiritual perspective? A perspective that is focused on eternity. Well then I want to suggest to you that the truth of Matthew 5 and verse 10 rises to the surface. It begins to click. Blessed are those who are persecuted. It results in blessing and joy. You remember... What we mentioned at the beginning of this lesson about the Alexa Menos graffito that was found in Rome in an ancient boarding school. As the archaeologists continued to excavate this boarding school, in an adjacent room they found another inscription. The first word is written in Greek. The second word is written in Latin. 
And whenever you translate it into English, do you know what it says? It says, Alexamenos is faithful. See, in one room, you have him being mocked, being ridiculed, being made fun of because he chose to worship Jesus and chose to live his life in dedication to Jesus. But then you go into the adjacent room and you find what's reality. You go into the adjacent room and you find what's really true. That yes, he was persecuted. Yes, he experienced difficulty. But he was faithful. Jesus wants us to understand some ideas about persecution in this passage of Scripture. He wants us to know that persecution is certain. That we shouldn't take it personally. It's, it's not unique to us. And it results in blessing and joy. Those ideas are important for us to recognize. But I think ultimately this conversation leads us to a question that could perhaps be even more important. Will you be faithful to Jesus? When you're pressured and your faith is tested, whenever you're persecuted, whenever you're slandered, whenever you're excluded, whenever you're mocked and made fun of because you choose to live for Jesus, will you continue to be faithful to Him? Are you going to fake it? Are you going to be a hypocrite? Or are you going to be faithful to King Jesus and walk in His footsteps that are defined by suffering? When you're persecuted, when that day comes, are you going to stay with Jesus? Or are you going to leave? Jesus asked us to make up our mind this morning. I'm going to stay even if I have to suffer. I hope that we've been able to see over the last eight weeks, the last couple months, that true happiness, true blessing, it's not found in this world. It's not found on this earth that we live on right now for a temporary amount of time. True happiness, true blessing can only be found in Jesus. It can only be found in His teachings. Teachings like what we have here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. So let's be poor in spirit. Let's be those who mourn over the sin that's present in our lives. Let's be those who are meek, those who are hungry for God, those who are merciful, pure in heart, those who are peacemakers, those who are faithful in the midst of persecution. And one day, we'll be able to experience the true happiness and the true blessing that comes from an eternity in the presence of our Lord. If we can help you this morning to find that happiness in Jesus, we would love to do that as together we stand and sing our invitation song. I am resolved no longer to linger Charmed by the world's delight Things that are higher, things that are nobler These have allured my sight I will hasten to Him Hasten so glad and free Jesus, great. 
to thee. I am resolved to go to the Savior, leaving my sin and strife. He is a true one, he is a just one, he hath the words of life. I will hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. I am resolved to.